Hello and welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sorry. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin, history, music, and culture. While drinking a few brews. Though we don't often use strong language, the jokes and the content is not intended for young audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Before we begin the episode, we have to give a huge shout out to the Dangits from Madison, Wisconsin for providing us with great bluegrass intro you hear at the beginning of every episode. The song Razzle was written by Jamie Lampkins, but is performed by on behalf of Tom Wasselchuk and the Dangits. If you have a chance, check these guys out at dang-its.com for upcoming shows, music, or on how to book them for weddings, parties, and etc. Thank you for listening. Hello everyone, today's main story is about the Rhinelander's very own cryptid, the Hodag. Have you heard of the st- Hodag before we started this episode? Uh, yeah, man. Um, so I watch um, I watch a couple of uh, episodes on uh, YouTube about this thing, and uh, I got to tell you, man, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, like, scummy-looking creature. Um, it is somewhat of a folktale, cryptid, urban legend between lumberjacks during the late 1800s. Um, with a population of almost 8,000, Rhinelander is set in north-central Wisconsin and is a must-stop for anyone up that way. The town was named after Frederick W. Rhinelander of New York, who was president of Milwaukee, Lakeshore, and Western Railroads at the time. It was originally named Pelican Waters by early settlers. The town offers all things Wisconsin, and uh, I recommend going. So these are some of the main stores I've been to in Maine bars etc but these are the ones that are really stand out to me you got the rhinelander brewing company you got the hold egg store huge shout out to the hold egg store they helped us out a lot on this podcast we got dinky diner tulis cafe the historic davenport house pioneer park historical complex and brown street 151 i love coming up to this area and we always check out new places when we go but these were just the kind of notable ones and i don't want to deter anyone there's a ton of other businesses to check out in the area uh, we encourage local business, obviously, in this podcast, and it's it's the one thing we really want to strive for is getting people out there to go to these towns and actually witness the history. Yeah, I mean, we we honestly just encourage everybody to to travel Wisconsin. Just get out and and go see these towns for yourself. This is really just to give you a little backstory, a little bit of the history, and then throw out some suggestions of places and things to see when you're there. Yeah, the outdoor scenery is beautiful. There's hiking trails, forest, and obviously the Wisconsin River runs right through town, so feel free to hop on a kayak and get in there. Um, so the main story today is obviously about the cryptid, the Hodag. Um, I could also give you a three-hour lecture on this guy, but I'm not going to go into this. This is the main story. This is kind of like the the middle of the story. There's a lot of other things that happen here, but this is kind of just the description, who's involved, etc., so the local central character to the story is Eugene Simeon Shepard. He was born in Green Bay, but most of his career he was in the lumber industry. He was known as a timber cruiser, which is someone who actually measures out the trees to find out the board feed, etc. He was also a real estate broker and a storyteller, and really enjoyed telling practical jokes, which is kind of how this whole thing started. He told stories of loggers about Paul Bunyan, and also our main story will we'll feature today. The tale begins in the year 1893 when a report comes into the local news. 
It had a head like a frog, grinning face of a giant elephant, thick short legs, set of huge claws, the back of a dinosaur, and long tail with spears at the end. Eugene Shepard, along with the land surveyor at the time, and additional backing by lumberjacks were the ones who sent us into the news. I mean, what do you think of that? It's pretty messed up. I mean, I'll tell you what. If I, if I, if I heard that story or if I saw that thing uh, firsthand, I would be terrified. I wouldn't know what. And, and especially, dude, uh, up there in, in uncharted woods, we're talking about, you don't know what is up there. And to, to be hearing of this from anyone, at, you know, at a, at a pub or, you know, your, your local watering hole, Yeah, I mean, what do you do? You can't just tell the guy he's, you know, full of it and just, you know, pass it off. You, you kind of have to band together. You kind of got to get, get out there, you know, torches, pickaxe. Yeah, I mean, in this case, you're not technically crapping bricks. I mean, you're actually crapping a couple cedar logs. Oh, yeah. So after the initial reports came in on Eugene Shepard, he stumbled into a logging camp and relayed the tale to multiple camps. Um, and... This led to a search, um, which they all went out to actually try to capture the beast originally. It didn't end that way. They came out with heavy rifles, squirt guns of poison water. I, I honestly don't know what poison what water he- is. Yeah, what the hell is poison water? I don't know what they use. That's I mean, what we use. That's DEET. That's uh, bug spray. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Fleischies vodka I drink. It's Oh, yeah, that too. <laughs> the yeah. greasiest of liquors. Really good point. It was said that the battle with the beast was so intense. And here was the release that was actually reported to the media. It was the fiercest, strangest, and most frightening monster ever to set razor-sharp claws on Earth. It became extinct after its main food source, all white bulldogs. I don't know. I don't even know where to begin on this. Did, like, that's just messed up. Did you just say white bulldogs? White bulldogs were actually its main food source, according to Shepard which became scarce in the area. It was roughly seven foot long and estimated at 185 pounds. Its nostrils spouted smoke and flame and had a horrible odor. Shepard describes this as a combination of buzzard meat and skunk perfume. <laughs> Oof. How does he? <laughs> okay. Skunk, skunk perfume. Yeah, right. Uh, tell uh, J-Lo or somebody to release this scent. This sounds beautiful. Yeah. Liz Claiborne's. Skunk tail. Yeah, definitely. This is definitely one of those type of deals. Okay, now this this is the point where we got to start questioning things. Obviously, today, yeah, you know, this, we we would understand this is a complete fabrication. Yeah, this is the point where we have to do that. And but you know, during this time period, they they didn't know better. They didn't have Photoshop, and it actually looked pretty realistic. I mean considering the time period i mean now you can go back and look at these old photographs and the thing looks like a hunk of garbage i mean it's just it's like somebody crafted this in their basement i mean it's that couch from the first episode okay so here's what happened to the beast the first the first beast the locals had to kill the beast using dynamite overkill if you ask me Mm -hmm. and this is where the famous photo comes from Obviously, when you look at it initially, it's super cheesy. There's people surrounding it with guns and, you know, the pitchfork, your standard hunt beast yep. type photograph. Yep. Um, but this was the end of the encounters as of, you know, the first encounter. But in 1896, Shepard claimed to have seen another one of these beasts. 
and you know, no one else claimed to see these. And there were a ton of loggers in the woods. So obviously, like this is another sign that, you know, things aren't right. So he claimed to have seen the beast and was able to subdue it this time by using bear wrestlers. Is that a is that a person or a thing? Yeah, or what, what is that? I mean, like we grew up, that? we grew up with like WWF, like Macho Man and Hulk, and I don't think these guys could take down a fucking bear. No, <laughs> there is literally no way that that's. So this is a person, is what we're that's that's what we've deduced. Yeah, these are these are these are dudes. Wow. And yeah, I mean, like for me, I don't think I could do it. If I saw a creature like this, I would automatically just run the other way. You know, razor I, sharp claws. Uh, spiked back and tail uh 185 t- you know pounds of muscle i'm yeah i i gotta be honest i'm not looking to wrestle this thing i'm looking to just get the hell out of dodge yeah and you know the way they were able to subdue this beast was using chloroform at the end of a long pole i mean again is this is this from hurley <laughs> right, this, right. this sounds like something yeah. super greasy. The guys from Hurley moved uh, slightly north to the Rhinelander area and brought their chloroform sticks. <laughs> and, you know, they somehow managed to wrangle this creature and get into a corner in a small cave where they were able to overpower it and capture it. So now Shepard has one of these things in his possession. And in 1890s, what do you do in this time? Well, it's time to hit the fair circuit and snake oil it up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we'll get our covered wagon and we'll uh, get the thing that we need to sell, which is chloroform sticks, and we'll show them exactly why they need uh, to buy all uh, all these snake oils. And so the hodeg was shown it to the public for the first time at Oneida County Fair, charging guests a dime to see the beast, and was set to earn five hundred dollars in a weekend. For 1890s money, this is a ton of money. This guy, this guy probably had a lot of cash. He probably had some sweet whatever you can get at that time, some horses or oxen or whatever you can get. Bear wrestlers. Yeah, obviously you could hire some bear wrestlers. And, and, you know, Hulk Hogan didn't exist back then. He could have taken down one of these no problem. Oh, yeah, brother, I'll take down a bear anytime you want. Woo! And during this time obviously there's no social media so in the 1890s this thing went viral and going viral in the 1890s is insane that might be the very first account of anything going viral right and you know what what could he have done to convince these people even more and you know, we, we're saying to ourselves like at this point like being from this time period let's say we set ourselves back is it real like I really hope not. I don't want to, I don't want to see one of these things, you know, or have them hurt my children. So people were really scared and everyone was interested in seeing this thing. So the creature before it went to the fair was actually placed in a rundown shack house or barn. It's there's differing reports where it was actually located, which probably already made people scared. I mean, a rundown barn, nobody wants to go into a place like that. Well, I mean, I think it's your, it's your tragic or it's your, uh, Classic horror story. Uh, oh, it's the this house, uh, the weird old Johnson house, and it just looks all run down and uh, decrepit, and uh, it's scary. And then everybody tells their tales of the weird beast inside. Yeah, exactly. So Shepard, he ended up. Here's how he kind of convinced people and scared them. Shepard would be well dressed in like a a beautifully laid out suit, and he would disappear as the guests would wait for this abomination to come out. 
he, the, the crowd would then hear horror or like a growling sound, breaking, ripping, tearing sounds. And after a few minutes, Shepard would reappear again after a few minutes wearing the same suit, but ripped and gnarled. I mean, he looked like a mess. And due to this setting, people never really stayed long enough to witness, you know, if this is fake or not. And this went on for years. Yeah. I mean, my account of that, looking back on it, he probably went downstairs. He, he, he gruffed one out on the toilet. He ripped his suit open every single time. And then he, and and then when he came upstairs, he was all sweaty and he looked like he had just, you know, been, been attacked. But really, I mean, it was just, that's a rough number two he took. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's a Taco Bell meal. I mean, that's that's just a normal Sunday for me. That's hot sauce. So, well, due to this going viral, um, it started hitting the big time. And uh, there became much more intrigue. And the government was actually preparing to send biologists and scientists who work for the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. to Rhinelander, Wisconsin. Um, And after the mere announcement, Eugene Shepard, he was like, okay, I have to admit, I have to come clean about this. And was forced to admit everything. Um, the whole egg that was on display was actually a carved stump draped in oxide. Its horns and spikes were derived from oxen and cattle, and its movement, as stated before, was controlled by wires. And the growls were actually supplied by Shepard's son, who were actually hidden out of sight, who were just making some... <laughs> Which, I mean, if, if you were in this time period, I, I would run. I'd be like, why would I want to see this beast? It's not worth it. Yeah. However, even though this creature is a hoax, the town still celebrates this amalgam animal. It has become the mascot of the town. The school sports team are even called the Hodegs. There's a great country music festival named after this beast called the Hodeg Country Music Festival. There are many renditions of the beast throughout town, which I recommend going to the town and trying to find them because they're all over. I mean, you can find them everywhere. And probably the most famous one, if you want to see it, is at the Chamber of Commerce, where tours can stop and actually see the beast. It's huge. I mean, it's massive right in front. And we will, we will post some images so you can actually see what this beast looks like. It's really cool to check out. And if you actually go on the Rhinelander website, the slogan for the town is the home of the Hodeg appears right when you get on there. There is an official store in town called the Hodeg store, and it's a must stop for anyone headed to this area. You can get all kinds of really cool swag, Wisconsin stuff, hats, drink Wisconsinly stuff, magnets. It's a really great stop. These guys are really cool to me. They answered all my questions and everything, and they helped us out with this episode specifically. Yeah, definitely. And he's actually become somewhat of a legendary creature. And he's actually featured in the new J.K. Rowling's movie. Um, I don't know if anyone has seen the Fantastic Beasts and where they find them. Uh, Sturge, have you seen that? No, no, I have not. It's it's pretty good. And actually, the Hodeg appears in that, which is really cool for Wisconsin. He was also in Scooby-Doo in 2012 in the episode called The Hodeg of Horror. And... You know, even after this thing has been proven a hoax, there are still accounts of people seeing this beast today. There's a few YouTube videos out there of someone claiming to have seen this thing in the woods. You know, I don't believe it. Obviously, it's a hoax. I really think there might have been something else involved, like maybe the LDS. I mean, obviously. Some acid. Some. <laughs> there was some hardcore stuff. Maybe his shrooms. Some, you know. I'm, I'm telling you right now. I mean, obviously, you've got individuals who 
were under the influence of uh, drugs or alcohol or something, and um, or it was just nighttime, poor vision, and somebody uh, saw something. I, I, I don't I don't discount the idea that they saw something, but I I certainly don't believe right. that it's a, a horned beast with razor claws and you know that's where i'm at too like these guys obviously saw something they're freaked out they post these videos you can check them out online go to youtube and just search out the hold egg and you'll find these guys yeah it's definitely the, the nice thing is the the city just has completely rallied around that that history and that it's it's just a part of their culture now uh like you said the 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 city has completely embraced the hodag so uh visit visit rhinelander and you'll see for yourself just just how deep this thing is uh in the culture yeah and that'll conclude our main story for the day uh we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with you everyone and welcome back we're now at our segment called how scani are you this segment is basically some questions we ask where we try to determine how much of a Wisconsin person you are. And the last episode, Sturgeon, Eric, he interviewed me and asked me a few questions, and now it's my turn. Here we go. I'm ready. All right. So the first question I have for you, have you ever eaten a squeaky cheese curd? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think it's possible to live in Wisconsin for as long as we have. Uh, without, and honestly, the tourists... Uh, have all pretty much had squeaky cheese. I mean, even the 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 furniture store Penny Mustard will do uh, squeaky cheese days at there, you know, to get people uh, excited about coming shopping for furniture. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. Like you, when you get it really fresh, it, like so. The term squeaky actually comes from like rubbing against your teeth. It yeah. actually makes a squeaking sound. Sure does. When you eat it, you should definitely have the squeak, the internal squeak. You got it. All right, so next question I have for you is, uh, do you know what a bubbler is? Absolutely, yeah. Um, do not Google the, the term bubbler. You'll probably come up with uh, potential drug uh, paraphernalia uh, searches and, and whatever, so it could get you in trouble. However, uh, bubbler, I don't, I don't necessarily use the term every time. It really depends on who I'm talking to, so I, I definitely have shied away from that terminology to everyone but i would say yes yeah a little side note to that if uh, you ever want to look up the bubbler history obviously like sturgeon said do not look up bubbler in google image it check out kohler history because actually the term bubbler comes from the kohler company and we'll probably do an episode on this kind of to discuss it further but check it out it's really interesting awesome um next question have you ever woke up in the morning and had a bloody mary Definitely. I mean, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit in the, uh, in the first episode, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is a staple to, um, either hang curing hangovers, um, which some believe it does. Um, but honestly, to me, it's just, it's, uh, it's the perfect partner to, uh, any breakfast. I mean, you get up early in the morning, you make yourself some uh, eggs, bacon, sausage, pancakes, you know, eggo waffles, whatever you want to do. The, the thing that you definitely have to have pairing with that is the perfect Bloody Mary, which um, honestly, you know, 
the 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 ingredients vary, but I think the perfect thing you got to do for any Bloody Mary is include the pickle and olive juice into the into the concoction a little bit. Oh, definitely. Have you ever put a Slim Jims in yours? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you got to get some beef jerky, some nice Wisconsin jerky even. Some it kind so of good. Exactly. Some kind of jerky, some kind of beef stick or whatever. That has to be in there. All right, next question. Have you ever wore a flannel to work? Yeah, definitely. Um at my current uh place of business, uh we have a thing that we that, that has gotten pretty popular now, but we call it Flannel Friday. So uh, it doesn't generally carry into the uh, summer months, <laughs> uh, but during the fall and winter, uh, Flannel Friday, it's a real thing. It's a real deal. Yeah, and so my last question for you, obviously, I don't want to ask you the same questions that I was asked because yeah. we kind of answered them, you know. Side by side. Yeah, but the last one I got for you, have you ever made beer brats? Yeah, I think... Um, so you can you can go the the cheap way and you can buy just a package of uh, beer brats, but it's it's kind of a a routine now of mine to uh, throw those on the stovetop first. I poke each end just a little bit to break the casing. I throw in like a half a stick of butter, and I put in uh, I cut up an onion into little slices. And then I throw in about three to four full beers for five brats, like a normal package of brats. And I usually just boil those until they're uh, until you pick them out with a tong and you shake them and they don't have that same like loose, raw sausage uh, shake to them. And since this is the last question, uh, what kind of beer do you recommend? I always use a cheap beer like a Pabst or a Miller Lite. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I typically go the... Uh, like Miller Lite route. Um, sometimes I'll go to like the PBR. Honestly, it's whatever I have in my refrigerator that's the oldest beer in there. Yeah, I mean, you obviously don't want to use, you know, a craft beer that's costing you $10 for a six-pack. Yeah. It, those are kind of more adventurous beers, but anything you can get, like a 12-pack for a reasonable, that's kind of what we go with as well. Yeah, Ham's is another great selection if you do have to just buy beer in order to do this. Uh, if you don't have beer sitting in the refrigerator right now, Hams is a good one to to uh, go ahead and get. Plus, uh, Milwaukee's be- uh, best light, uh, so Beast Light is you know what most of us know it as. That is a perfect beer to make beer brats on your own. Oh, definitely, and uh, you know one other cheap beer I'd recommend is uh, Red Dog. Oh yeah, it you know it used to be kind of the hot seller for Miller back in the '90s. They had like great actresses and you know models. Cindy Crawford used to be in the things, but now you can get a whole cube for literally nine ninety nine. That's a thirty six pack of beer for nine ninety nine. Yeah, now it's now the only guy that's in the uh, commercials are my neighbor Doug. Uh, his shirt doesn't go all the way down to his pants, so I'll just leave you with that. Yeah, and that'll conclude our questions for today. All right. Now on to our next segment called How Many Locos You At? This is a segment where we read a news story and we try to guess how many four locos this person had to drink to get to this level. For example, if the person had two cans of four loco, they are at an eight loco total. All right, Russ, why don't you go ahead and give us this story here? 
Yeah, so our tale comes to us today from uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin on February 25th of 2020, actually this year, where a Waukesha resident pulled up a Packers chair next to a dead opossum while repeatedly shouting the words, repent, at the animal. And then threw goldfish snacks, windshield wiper fluid, onto the dead animal, which caused two people to call the local authorities to come and check out the scene. Now, this story, like, we're not, like, our podcast, we're not going to get religious or... Um, or political. Yeah, we're not going to jump into that territory, and we weren't trying to do it with this article, but if you had a guess, how many locals do you think it would take to get to this level? Honestly, I feel like this could be uh, one can. So I think somebody could be just at four... For loco in order to get to this point. So was this more of like a mentally disturbed for loco? Yeah, I feel like there were some underlying issues, uh, you know, that that existed before this. You know, the the for loco just happened to assist and uh, possibly even, um, you know, make it make it worse. Yeah, I mean, maybe the for loco just gave her a little extra spiritual energy, uh, liquid courage. To, yeah, to exactly. Let, let her her. Uh, I don't know, psychological issues, chill. But it was a messed up story, and it kind of took the headlines for a while here in Wisconsin. It's kind of a weird one, and we just wanted to cover it. But uh, that'll do it for this, today's uh, How Many Locos You At segment, and uh, we're going to move on now. Hello, everyone, and uh, we're back. This is the music segment. Um, we have a huge shout-out, so we're going to do our local business shout-out right now. Um, we honestly owe the Hodeg store huge credit here. They uh, gave us this music. It's a must-stop if you're in Rhinelander. Um, they have Wisconsin memorabilia. They have Hodeg, everything you can think of. And they gave us this really cool song. Um, the guy's name is Carrie Exotic. I Saw a Tiger, which is a parody of a show that's been recently kind of taken the headlines called Tiger King. Um, have you seen that show? I, yeah. So I've only actually seen maybe three episodes of it. Um, it got a little wild for me, man. Uh, yeah, it, it's completely nuts. I mean, the, I can't believe people actually live this way. I never really would have imagined it, which is probably why it makes it such a great documentary because you don't get to see the side of people normally. Yeah, it's it, it really goes into areas that, I mean, you, you see it in movies, but you don't, you don't, I mean, you think that that's completely scripted. Now you, you see it and it's like, you realize that this is this is real. These are these people's firsthand accounts of what happened at these exotic animal parks, and it is just off the deep end, man. Yeah, you kind of hate love every character you meet. I mean, they all have their flaws, and they all have their really good qualities that we can kind of relate to, and I think it's what makes it such a success, especially now during COVID when we're all stuck inside. It's like we can relate to these people, but we also see the dark side of them. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's unique. Let's let's call it that. Yeah, and that's kind of where we'll leave it. And so our special guest is actually Carrie Exotic. Um, he actually works up in Rhinelander, and I believe he works at the Pioneer Park. Um, but he wrote a song which is kind of like a parody of "I Saw a Tiger." And without further ado, here's Carrie Exotic. I saw a whole egg. Two 
all the hunters to lay down their guns. Tell them that the whole day needs a little bit of love. Let them roam the forest. Let them climb the trees. Stand back and marvel what a beautiful beast. I saw awesome um again that was uh carrie exotic i saw hodag awesome thank you so much for sending that in uh and thank you so much for your uh, assistance with this podcast as well uh that brings us to our next segment beer review this segment again is devoted to local wisconsin beers um and throughout this episode you may have actually heard a few beers being cracked open uh, we like to drink and uh, loosen up, but also we like to support our local breweries. Um, we have uh, both made different batches of homebrew and and uh, sta- you know taken our own stab at uh, beer making. Um, however, we're not beer snobs, and uh, we're not going to go crazy and dive way too deep into the evaluation of this thing. We're just going to take take the few sips and uh, and give you our opinion. We kind of think that. Maybe you're you're the the type of person that just drinks the Coors or Miller Light every once in a while, and maybe you want to explore. Well, this is your opportunity to uh, maybe find a beer that you think might be suitable to try if it sounds uh, you know like it might be appealing to you. So, uh, without further ado, uh, Russ, why don't you tell us about our uh, our beer of choice today? Yeah, so we wanted to keep this episode kind of all things Rhinelander. Um, so today we are actually drinking the Rhinelander export beer, specifically the shorties. 
at 5% ABV. This little lager is pretty tasty. And the short size, they're probably about five inches tall. And they're great for loading up in your tackle box. You can fit a whole bunch of them in there because they're so tiny. Yeah. It's really nice. And uh, it is technically a Rhinelander Brewing Company original recipe. Um, it was being brewed for quite some time by Minhaus Brewery in Monroe, Wisconsin, which is actually a really neat tour. I don't suggest doing all three because they actually have a winery, a distillery, and a brewery tour. Yeah. And uh, I saw disastrous results from somebody that went on all three. And uh, they have, you know how they have like cans stacked and you know how they neatly stack them? So this woman came off the wine and distillery tour and she came on the beer tour with us. And she literally like fell into the entire pyramid of cans. I mean, like she was gone. Yeah, and I'll be honest, uh, Minhas is very generous with their tasting policies, uh, both before and after uh, the tour. So, if you're looking to get your money's worth, it is an awesome tour in that regard. But like my co-host here, Russ said, do not try to attempt to do all three and think that you're going to make it out alive and without, you know, possibly making yourself look like an idiot. Yeah. And Monroe's it's a pretty small town. So finding a place to stay there is not the easiest thing to do. If you do get a chance to go to Monroe, I recommend checking out all the cheese places out there. And uh, there's a lot of smaller breweries that have opened up in the area. And I, I really recommend going there and checking it out. Yeah, definitely worth it. Worthwhile. And so the beer in 2018 plans were made and uh, now it's currently being brewed in actually Rhinelander, Wisconsin, which is really awesome. Yeah. It, it's now open, and uh, I have yet to check this place out. I don't know if you've been there or not. No, not yet. But I'm definitely making plans this year to go check it out. But uh, overall, what did you think of the beer? Yeah, it's actually really refreshing. Um, as the uh, the label says here, um, it is refreshing as Wisconsin's North Woods. As I don't know exactly how refreshing the Northwoods is, um, in in a in a, in a taste aspect, uh, physically though, I know that when I head to the Northwoods, I feel a little bit disconnected from the crazy, uh, you know, just feels of of normal everyday life. So, if I were to try to kind of compare that into a taste. I think this nails it. I think this is that refreshing uh, example of how I feel when I physically go to the North Woods. Yeah, I mean, I could see myself sitting in front of a waterfall somewhere up there and just sipping on the stuff. It's it's really light. It goes down really smooth, and uh, I highly recommend you check it out and give it a taste and let us know what you think. Yeah. Now, uh, really quick, I wanted to ask you about uh, the Hodag and... Uh, what was his name again? Shepard? Eugene Shepard. Eugene Shepard. Now that guy, how many loco you think he was at when he concocted this story of uh, of the hodag? You know, the guy was just kind of eccentric. He was a showman. Um, he probably was at a no loco. Um, he, he People would see him kind of walking around town. He had a cart, which we'll post on our social media, where it actually was led by a moose. Like, he's that eccentric of a person. So it might have been a no loco, maybe a four loco to give him a little energy to get through town and get a little wild, you know? Yeah, so you're saying this guy was just a straight-up goofball. Yeah, he was a goofball prankster. and uh, he Very had, good. He, he was a professional, too, but, uh, it, you know, we'll post some pictures. You can kind of see him. He has, like, a total 1800 sweet mustache, like the total, like, whisper, like, mm-hmm, yeah, my name is Eugene Shepard, eh? you know, like that 1800s look. But he's 
you know, it's a really cool history. Like, I think it's funny how he like pranked all these people in the, the entire United States. I mean, it was pretty neat. Yeah, he it, that was one of the uh, the early all time gotchas. All right, that concludes this episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. If you enjoyed this vulgar display of Wisconsin, we recommend you subscribe via SoundCloud, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, leave us a review on any one of those above-mentioned sites, and we can read one at the end of every show. Follow us on social media, and feel free to reach out, especially if there is a piece of history or weird news you'd love us to share or research, as well as highlight some local artists or music. Our website is projectcapestudio.com. I'd also like to thank my friend and past co-worker, Steph Skibak, for providing us with awesome podcast cover art, as well as the Dangits for intro and outro music, and all of you for listening. As always, watch, watch out, out for deer, deer on, on the way, way home. home.